0: Welcome to the Journey Church podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. So, we're kicking off a brand new series today. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be helpful. It's going to be good. It's going to be Insightful. We're kicking off a series called Lost. Somebody say Lost. Anybody ever lost something of value? You ever notice that you don't lose things that aren't valuable? Come on, church. Y'all don't lose things that aren't valuable, right? You only lose things that are valuable, that carry weight. I remember one time early on in my walk with God that I I had his wallet. And inside my wallet, I had sixty dollars. Now, when you're in Bible college and you're going to school full time, you have no money. Amen, college students, you got no money. Ramen noodles is what you live on. Okay, and I remember I had this this wallet, and I had misplaced my wallet. I couldn't find it. It was gone. And I couldn't find anywhere. I had $60 last me the entire month. And I remember praying one day. I, I was praying. I was like thinking about my wallet. I said, Lord, I sat down in my, my, my bedroom at my grandma's house. That's who I was living with at the time. And I remember sitting down and saying, Lord, I need to find this wallet. And he said, Well, why don't you just ask me? You ever heard God ask you questions like that? Why don't you just ask me? And I said, Could it be that simple? Right. And so I sat down and I prayed. I said, Lord, I need to find my wallet. Lord, show me where my wallet is. And in that moment, I had a clear picture. I saw exactly where my wallet was laying at. Right. It was beside the curb across the street from my mom's house in the road. Now, I had not had this wallet for a couple days and I come running down the stairs. My grandmother said to me, she said, where are you going in such a hurry, boy? And I said, Grandma, God just gave me a vision of where my missing wallet was at. And she said, huh. And I ran out the door, ran two blocks down to where mom's house is at, and I walked up to it. And do you know my wallet was sitting in the exact same spot where God had shown me my wallet was at? A couple days, I lost it a couple days before that. Let me tell you something. I know teenagers are honest, amen, most of us, some of us, no, not at all, right? Because if you see a wallet on the ground and it has some cash in it, aren't you going to take it? Some of y'all should say no right now. Just No, you're in church. No, you're not going to take it, right? I was shocked. I was shocked and I picked up my wallet and I opened it, it had been raining. And I opened it up and I had all my money in there. I had lost my wallet, but I rejoiced when I found my wallet. How many of you know, you don't lose things that aren't valuable. You only lose things that have value. Amen. That's good. You need to remember that. And we're kicking off a series called Lost. And over the next three to four weeks, we're going to be looking at parables of God's reckless love. Do me a favor, church, say reckless. No, you got to say it like I did. Reckless. Come on. Reckless love. I love that song we just sang. Overwhelming, reckless love. And do you know that that song, man, that has ministered to so many people, that has blessed so many people's hearts over the last couple of years that people have been singing it, but do you know that when that song was first released, people had issues with it? Did you know that? Yeah, people had issues with it. You know what type of people had issues with it? Church people. Can I tell you, church people had issues with it. Why would they have issues with a song that talks about God's reckless love? For that very reason. Because they used the word reckless. And, of course, we know God is perfect, stoic in all his ways. Right? In no way in shape, form is he reckless. He operates in perfection. But can I just tell you this? And people were literally, were like, can we sing the song and change that word? No, that's the whole song. On, like, worship leader threads and, like, groups, people were having debates on this. God's love is not reckless, but I dare tell you, I'm going to tell you this right now, God's love is everything, including reckless, amen? It is reckless. It has to be reckless. Why? Because he loves me. Amen. And he loves you. And you're a mess. And I'm a mess. There's no perfect people allowed in church, amen? We're all a mess. And in order for God to love the mess, it has to be reckless. Because it doesn't make sense to love people who are messy. It's easy to love people who have it all together. It's easy to love people who who do everything we want them to do. It's hard to love people who pluck our last nerves. Amen. It's hard. But that requires a, a reckless sense of love. God's love, it shows off in the mess. It shows off in the mess. And I love it. Jesus used it in in Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be at over the next couple of, of weeks. He used three parables that are laid out in Luke 15 to communicate, to share the love of God, the extravagant, reckless love of God. It's the story of the lost sheep. It's the story of the lost coin. And it's the story of the lost son. And we're going to spend some time unpacking these. Maybe you're going to learn something. I think you will. You know, I went to the beach once. I like going to the beach sometimes. I don't, I don't like sand. Anybody like sand? I, don't, I try to stay away from the beach for the very reason sand. Sand makes you messy. It gets in cracks in places it's not supposed to be at. Amen? But I remember a couple of years ago, I went to the beach with our family, my wife's side of the family. And we went to the beach for, we were at OBX, right? And, and we were in this beach house. And one morning I was sitting out on the, on, the, on the deck and I was watching the sunrise. And I was sitting there talking to God. You ever talk to God during the sunrise? That's a good moment to talk to God, right? And I'm talking to God and I'm sitting there and I'm just meditating on his love. Like right? First Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, you yeah, know, 4 through 8. Love is patient, kind, good, not envious, rejoices when truth wins out. Never gives up, always believes, always hopes the best never fails. Do y'all remember that verse? I'm meditating on that verse, and the Lord spoke something into my heart. He said, you know, Chris, you can never exaggerate my love for you. Think about that. Why did he tell me that? Because he knows I'm a preacher, and he knows that sometimes the stories I tell, they're exaggerated. But you know what? I take after my Savior, because Jesus exaggerated some stories, too. They're not lies. They're just exaggerations. We exaggerate things that we want to make better than what they really are. Like when you go fishing, you ever notice how when you go fishing, every time you tell the story about catching that fish, it grows by a couple more inches? We exaggerate it, don't we? Because we want to make it sound better than what it is. Church, listen to me. You cannot exaggerate the love of God for you. You can't make it bigger or better than what it already is for you. Come on. So Luke chapter 15. And we'll start with verses 1 through 7 this week. That's where we're going to hang out. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And this is what it says. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It said, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain and he was, that he was associating with such sinful people, eating even eating with them. And so Jesus told them a story. And this we said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety nine others in the wilderness to go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? It says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Y'all, I got some stuff that's going to shock you a little bit later. Hold on. Keep going. <laughs> I'm just telling you, some of this stuff, church people are weird. Amen. If you grew up in church, you know church people are weird. They teach you some funny stuff, amen? They do. They teach you stuff that just don't make sense. All right, so, like, well, aren't we in church yet? Yeah, but this is a different church. All right, so, <laughs> verse 6. Verse 6, it says, And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Y'all, let me just break some stuff down for you. First of all, let's go back to verse one. That's where we're gonna go. Go back to verse one. It says tax collectors. Y'all say tax collectors. You know what a tax collector was? Everybody's like, yes, IRS, right, yes. How many love tax collectors? One person who doesn't pay taxes. Good job. All right, (laughs) all right. So we, the, the tax collectors, how do we, here, here's what a tax collector, is. In, in, in first century Palestine, this is what a tax collector was, it was, a, it was a Jewish person who went to work for Rome. Now, Rome occupied Israel, they occupied the Jewish people, they suppressed the Jewish people, and, and, and so these, these tax collectors were Jews who would go and work for the enemy. Y'all say Enemy. They would go and work for the enemy, and they would go and they would become servants or, or, or employed by the Roman government to go and collect taxes from their fellow Jews, right? And not only did they collect taxes from their fellow Jews, but they would also extort their fellow Jews as well, which means your tax bill might be $500, but today for you, it's a special price of $750, and they would say, well, that's not fair. And the Rome, they had no way to not enforce it. It's not like they couldn't go back to the Roman employee or the government and say, hey, he's extorting. They didn't care. And so they would extort their own people, and they were despised and looked down upon. So the Jewish people did not like uh, tax collectors. If they called you a tax collector, it was a major insult. But look what it said in verse 1. It says tax collectors. And then it says, and other notorious sinners. Other notorious sinners. Um, I love the word notorious. If you grew up in the 90s like me, you can't help. You cannot help it. When you hear notorious, who else do you think about? Who? Biggie Smalls. Everybody in the room is like, yeah. Notorious. And then you're like, B-I-G. But that word notorious is a good word translated in the NLT. Actually, is a good word because it's exactly what it means. It's exactly what it means. Notorious is, is the word. It's the Greek word uh, hamatalos, hamatalos, and this is what it means. It means specifically of men. Listen, listen. Specifically of men stained with certain definite vices or crimes. Do, do you did you hear that? specifically of men stained with certain definite vices or crimes. So, so tax collectors who were Jewish traitors who extorted, extorted their own people and other notorious sinners who were, who were physically painted and stained with the vices that they struggled with, the sins that they dealt with. There's a difference between inward stains and outward stains. Did you know that? You see, if I have some inward stains, well, that's just me and myself and I, Right? Um, the people when you when you have some inward stains, the people who see those inward stains are really usually the people who are closest to you. My wife can tell you my inward stains, right? But when we have outward stains, everybody sees it. See, when you have an outward stain, you get labeled. As a matter of fact, oftentimes when you have one of those outward stains, it becomes your identity. Come on, you see, if I'm a drunk, I'm an alcoholic, then that becomes my identity. You're an alcoholic. And if you're a glutton, and I'm not looking at nobody in the room, but if you're a glutton, then your stain, your vice, becomes your identity. You get that adjective before, I think that's what it is. An adjective, right? The the word fats goes right there before. You see, your your vice is your identity. You see, if you're a prostitute and you walk the streets, your, your vice becomes your identity. You would be classified notorious. But isn't it interesting that the people who came to hear Jesus preach were the ones who have been outcasted, the tax collectors, and the ones who have been stained outwardly by their devices, their vices, and, and ostracized from the religious community. He says, it says they came. It says to say it says other it says tax collectors and other notorious sinners often, often y'all say often. It means it won't a one time deal. They often came to listen to Jesus teach. Are we the church? Huh? Are we the church? Right. Are are, are we the body of Christ? Right. He's the head and we are his body. Do you have people in your life who you would classify as an IRS agent or Someone staying with vices who often come to hear you talk about God. Do you have those people who reach out to you? Who talk to you, who confide in you, who can share? Hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is the struggle that I have. Do you have that? Because if you do, then chances are the message that you're sharing, the message that you're sharing with others about God is the same message that Jesus Christ was sharing. It's a message that draws people in. It's not a message that pushes people away. It's a message that equalizes everybody. It's not a message that points out the falls in everybody. See, Jesus, that was his message. His message was one of hope. His message was one of hope. I mean, he started his ministry in Luke chapter 4, right, verse 18 and 19. He goes into the temple. He pulls out the the scroll from Isaiah. He reads it, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who have been bound, set the captives free, and to restore sight to the blind. How many of you know that's hopeful, amen? If you're blind and you can't see the crap going on in your lives, you go to someone who can help you see. If you're held in prison and you can't figure out a way to shake the addiction, you go to the one who can loose the chains. Come on. This is Jesus. This is the message he had. The message was a message of hope. And it was a message that placed all people on equal ground to receive from God. That's what infuriated the the religious people of Jesus' day probably more than anything else. As he went to them and says, you get it. You get it forgiveness and you get forgiveness and you get forgiveness that's what he did that's what he did you get look 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 the one that doesn't think he's so bad he points to and says you get some forgiveness he's like cool yeah I kind of felt like I needed that or I could get that right And, and then it's the person who 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 doesn't qualify the person that everybody counts out the one who says I'm not even worthy to be forgiven he looks at him and says you get forgiven too I'm not pointing at you like you're that person but you you know what I mean you're just on that side. You get forgiven too. <laughs> yeah, you get forgiven. It's not that infuriating because you you're equalizing everything. You're making it all equal. Everybody gets equally loved by God. Not just the people who get it all right and figure it all out, but the people who screw it up every single time and keep breaking things. Yes, yeah, you. <laughs> Amen. It's the message. It's his message that placed everybody on equal terms. Listen, it, grace and truth versus the law. It was grace and truth versus the law. Remember in John chapter 1, it said the law came by who? Y'all remember when we did rethink? The law came by who? Moses, right? The law came by Moses. But it said, but grace and truth through Jesus. That's attractive. Grace and truth is attractive. Grace that says you are accepted no matter what you've done is attractive. Truth is attractive. See, you're not who you think you are, you're who God thinks you are. You are not what you've done in your past. You see, your vices don't determine your identity, your God determines your identity. Grace and truth. And it was counterculture to the religious people. It countered what they heard. And it countered, excuse me, and it countered the tax collectors. And it countered what the tax collectors knew. And it countered what the notorious sinners understood. You see, the message that was going forth constantly was this message. And maybe, maybe you heard this message when you were growing up too. It's that one scripture no one can ever find. It's the one that says, God helps those who help themselves. Y'all remember that? Remember that scripture that's not a scripture that's nowhere in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. You see, that is the motto of works-based religion. That is the motto of hamster wheel religion. That is the motto that says, I'm going to figure out how I can be the best that I can so God will love me. That's the motto. And it was counterculture. You see, Jesus wasn't looking at the tax collector saying, if you can just be a little bit better, then I'll love you. And he wasn't looking at the adulterer and saying, if you can just be a little bit more pure, then I'll love you. And it wasn't looking at all these other people, the, the alcoholic, and saying, if you can just be sober, then I'll love you. He wasn't looking at the glutton and saying, if you can just drop 15 pounds, then I'll love you. He was saying, I love you. Your father loves you because that's who he is. That's who he is. He is love. God is love. And so it says, go back to verse 1. Some of y'all are like, man, we're only on verse 1. Hang in there. Verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And then verse 2, and it says this. It says, and this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain. And they complained because he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Because you know what? You know what they were living their lives by? They were living their lives by the law of Moses. And you know what the law of Moses says? The law of Moses says you're guilty by association. You see, if you hang out with gluttons, then you're a glutton. If you hang out with alcoholics, you're an alcoholic. You hang out with prostitutes, you're a prostitute. You hang out with, you, you are. You're guilty by association. So in order to not be guilty, you got to stay away from. Psalms 26 We'll go there in verse one. Psalms twenty six verse one. No worries. I'm just gonna get it ready. Psalms twenty six verse one. Y'all go there. You see, they, they mottoed their their motto came from, from this idea, right? Psalms twenty six verse one. And you know the, the Jews, the religious people, they they admired David king david right because king david was the picture of what a good leader looks like a picture of a good leader he he fought righteous wars and he had a heart after god remember god called him a man after his own heart so david was the picture of what it looked like to be holy let's not forget that he slept with a woman that wasn't his wife and had his husband her husband killed we'll just bypass that one right but but that kind of looked to this guy right as a good thing and so kind of how we do today right with our politicians well, let's keep moving. <laughs> let's keep moving. <laughs> we'll have tamper in there. <laughs> I'm like, I knew you were that. All right, so Psalms 26, <laughs> verse 1. <laughs> Y'all, yeah, I'm all over the place. It says, Declare me innocent. This is David. Declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have acted with integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. And it says in verse 4, it says, I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites, and I hate the gathering of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. You see, that's the type of life we need to have. We need to have a, a life that refuses to do anything that looks like what we are against. We can't associate with those people, because if we do, then we're guilty by association. You see, the law of Moses made you guilty by association. And that was the story uh, of Israel. The the story of Israel was one uh, of the side effects from, from doing the very thing that God asked them not to do. You see, they stunk at that. They couldn't hang around people without becoming the very people they were hanging around. And so Israel gets on this cycle, and the cycle with Israel was sin, run, repent, repeat. Come on, sin, run, repent, repeat. How many of us, that's our cycle. Don't raise your hand. Sin, run, repent, repeat. And so surely we can't do it, then you can't do it. You see, if we have a hard time hanging around people who don't look like us, who don't act like us without being affected by, it, by them, then you can't do it. The Pharisees, though, they didn't start out as bad people. And nor were they all bad. The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Let me just give you a little snapshot real quick, next few moments. So following their captivity, Israel, because they were on that 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 sin run repent repeat cycle, they ultimately found themselves being held captive by a, a nation called Babylon, right? Babylon, where modern day Iraq is located. They were held captive by Babylon for 70 plus years. And and it was in that time that they they realized, man, living the way we want to live, contrary to what God has, has kind of laid out for us, ends us in this place, right? You can read about it in Lamentations, it's crazy. So coming out of Babylon, when they were led out of Babylon, uh, these religious leaders got together, and they said, look, we want to make sure that Israel holds to God's commands. And so we're going to form this group and we're going to live in such a way. We're going to live the law by example so that those people around us will, will, will uphold it. They'll live by it. They'll stand with us. We can be a good example. So they started out with good intentions. Let me show you what it looks like to live a life for God. But they got too attached to rules, right? So when, when it says don't uh, work on the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. It wasn't just enough not to work, but it was you couldn't take a certain amount of steps now. You know, at least you start to work where you got to only take X amount of steps and you can't even put your jacket on. You can't even do this. You can't even do that. They they became overwhelmed with rules and regulations and rules and regulations. They come to a place where they'll always replace love and grace. Rules and regulations will always replace love love, and grace. They got to a place where they were convinced that it's what is on the outside that determines what is on the inside. It's what's on the outside that taints what's on the inside. But church, listen to me. It's not what is on the outside that taints what is on the inside. It's what is on the inside manifests outwardly And those things. So the goal is not to just create more boundaries, rules, and regulations and laws. For in those, you lose the heart and the face of God. Rules and laws will always replace love and grace. And the Pharisees that were complaining, and it was directly attached to their understanding of God. It's exactly attached to their understanding of God. And then Jesus says, well, let me help you reframe this. Let me help you reframe your understanding of God. I'm going to tell you a story. And it's a story about a lost sheep. Go to verse 3. Luke 15, 3, it says. It says. (laughs) There it is. All right. Verse 15, so Jesus told him a story. Go to verse 4. It says, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? You see, I don't know about you guys, but I have a hard time understanding this or did. I had a hard time understanding this. Who in their right mind leaves 99 good sheep to go after one? Come on, who does that? You know, I had a pack of peanut butter M&M's the other day when I was driving around in my car. It was a shareable pack, so there was probably 99 in there, pretty sure, pretty sure. And so I remember I opened my pack of 99 peanut butter M&M's, and as I was eating them, driving a stick, which takes talent, by the way, right, one fell. One fell down into the floorboard. Now listen, some of y'all, see, some, I can tell what you think about me already because some of you are like, you're disgusting. I, like, I didn't even say anything else. Others of you are like, oh, well. <laughs> so let me just tell you, have there been times where that's happened more than once in my life? Yes. Have I gone after that lone M&M? Yes, but not yesterday, or the day before, or the day before that. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> see what happened was. No, I I didn't because I had 99 in my pack. I was good. I didn't need no more because I had the 99. I think it's crazy, to to risk your life driving a car to find that lone peanut butter M M&M. and M, when you have 99 good ones. I think it's crazy, right? It, And I read the story starting off with this. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? Say, sorry about your luck. But Jesus says, no, won't you leave the 99 others to go into the wilderness and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? You see, sheep have value. In this time period, they have value. They're they're known, though. They're known to wander. Sheep are known to wander. And they have no means or no ability or no way to defend themselves. So, not really. I mean, some of them have horns, but, you know. So, no real claws, no real sharp teeth, you know, they eat grass and other things that are gross. I'm a meat eater. Glory, Glory, yeah. But they have a tendency to wander, right? They have no real way to defend themselves, and they become completely dependent upon their shepherd. And so in case you were wondering, the sheep in this story are the people he's addressing. You see, the 99 are the religious people who had issues with the fact that he was hanging out with all the notorious B.I.G.'s, right? And he's showing them that the very people you don't want me hanging out with are the very people I will leave this conversation right now with to go hang out with. To go find. In Matthew 15, verse 24, he tells them, he says, did you know that the Messiah was sent to the lost sheep of Israel? Do you know that? Matthew, you can write it down, check it out. Matthew 15, 24, he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I love this next part because it says, don't you know, it says he'll leave them, leave the 99 to go after the one. Who's doing the searching? Come on, that's an easy Sunday school answer, right? Who's doing the searching? Jesus. Is the sheep looking for the shepherd? No. The sheep is looking for something else. The sheep is looking for love in all the wrong places. It's a song or something, right? The sheep has no Focus, no attention is given to the shepherd. It is the shepherd who was going after the sheep and not the sheep who was going after the shepherd. That's important because it shows that it's God who is always on the search. That shows his love for you, that he's always on the search for you. We're out there by ourselves. Right. Right. Oh, I wish I had thought about that. That was really good. Bad. Right. And so we're out there doing I know y'all. He's cheesy. It's okay. We're out there doing our own thing. We're doing our own thing. We're trying our best to be our own person, to do our own thing. And God is that shepherd who is constantly going after us, coming after us. Always pursuing you. Always pursuing you. And it goes in verse 5. I love that because it's not, listen, it's so counterintuitive. It's so counter to what church says. Church says if you want to be loved by God, you got to be good. When you 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 just need to quit drinking, quit smoking, quit snorting cocaine, quit shooting heroin, quit doing whatever it is that you do and just come to church and then God will love you. How about you just come to church in the midst of all that and let God work on your heart in the first place? You let God do that. I had a friend of mine whose brother was a kingpin cocaine dealer in the area. And he he got radically his this guy got radically transformed, radically saved. And his brother was the kingpin. And he told his brother, he said, Man, you need this Jesus in your life. He said, You know what I do for a living, right? I don't need Jesus. He said, No, listen, you need to come to church with me. He's like, bro. He's like, I'm into this. And he's snorting cocaine, he's doing all this other stuff. And he said, listen to me. He said, I don't care if you snort cocaine before you go to church and when you leave church, he said, just come to church because something's gonna change. Either you're going to quit church you're going to quit cocaine. And I believe in the love of God that never fails. And guess what? He ended up quitting cocaine. Yeah. It's so true. It's not attached to what we can do. It never is attached to what we can do. It's always attached to what he wants to do. He pursues you. Verse 5. We're almost done. Verse 5, it says, and when he has found it. Oh, man, I love God's love. I love God's love, right? Because it never gives up. Love never gives up. It says, and when he has found it. How many of you know God's on a mission? God is on a mission. When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I believe God's love is going to win, church. That's just me, personally. I believe it's going to win. When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. You remember when earlier when I said church people teach them crazy stuff? Y'all remember that? I remember sitting in the service one time, and I was listening to the pastor teach on this passage of Scripture of the lost sheep. And he gets this point. He says, and when he has found it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders, and you get this picture of Jesus with the lamb around his shoulders. Y'all remember that? And then this is what he said. He said, but do you know why he carries him on his shoulders? And he says, it's because when the shepherd finally gets to the lamb, he has to help him understand who the shepherd is. So he breaks the, sh- the sheep's leg and binds it up. And then he says, he puts it around his shoulder and carries the sheep until the leg heals, so that when the leg heals, the sheep knows who the shepherd is and won't leave the shepherd's side again. Y'all, I love that everybody in the room is like, I have never heard that. Then you weren't at that church. (laughs) Amen. Have you heard that? You've heard that. Can I just tell you? That's not how God works. That's not how God works. Oh, there you are. I found you. Thank you. <laughs> I love you. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. No, it's not. You ever said that to your kids? This is going to hurt you more? Hurt me? Yeah. No, it's not. I'm the one with a broken leg, not you, right? This is a myth. This is so. I'm not kidding you. You can go online. You can Google it. You can go look at the, the lost sheep, and there is no shortage of commentaries and people blogging, repeating the same bogus myth over and over and over. The way shepherds used to take care of lost sheep is they would break its legs. There's no such thing. No such thing. Amen, somebody. So well, then why did he put it over his shoulders and, and take them home? Because Jesus, the shepherd, is doing exactly what he does best, which is put himself in harm's way for us. You see, I'm going to guarantee that my sheep gets back to the flock. I'm going to guarantee that my sheep gets back home. And so I'm going to put myself between a potential predator and the sheep. Now watch. Say, well, can you get a verse on that? I got a verse on that one. They don't got a verse on the broken leg, but I got a verse on this one. John chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 10. John chapter 10, start in verse 10. It's in your Bible. It's on screen? Oh, it's on screen too. John chapter 10, verse 10. Here Here it goes. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy He says, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying what church? Life. Keep going. Watch this. It says, I am the good shepherd. How many know good shepherd? Amen. Not good shepherd that'll break your leg. Good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Why am I going to put bait around my neck? It's to separate the bait from the wolf. To separate the prey from the wolf. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Keep going, verse 12. It says, a hired hand, now watch this, a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And he says, so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. Next verse. It says the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. See, I'm working for the appearance. I'm doing all these good things so that you can look at me and say, wow, isn't that a spiritual guy right there, right? I serve so you can look at me and praise me for my service. I give so you can look at me and praise me for what I give. I pray outwardly in front of everybody so you can look at me and tell me how awesome I am. But when the rubber meets the road, when things fall upside down and life gets messy, I'm the first person not to be there. Because the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money, only for the approval of others. And it says, and doesn't really care about the sheep. Keep going. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So he carried the weight of the sheep on his shoulders because that's what he does. That's what a good shepherd does. Verse 6 and 7, we're going to wrap it up with this. Go to verse 6, Luke chapter 15. It says And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Calls everybody together and says, look, let's rejoice. I found my lost sheep. In the same way, now this is good too. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. Now remember, repent means what church? To rethink, right? So there's there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who changes the way he thinks about himself and about God and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, some of us might look at that and go, well, that's not fair. Well, why why aren't they rejoicing about the, the 99 who stuck it out, the 99 faithful ones, the 91 who always served and always gave and always prayed? And why aren't they rejoicing over them? This is some holy irony right here, guys. This is what this is. He's saying, well, he's equating them. You're the 99. The mission of the gospel is going after the one sheep. We rejoice when we see someone who says, I need to say, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they're completely bankrupt without God, for their lives are transformed. But it's the ones who think that God owes them money. Their lives are stagnant. That's not where the party is at. I like being around fun people. Amen. You're not going to listen. If you're a really stoic, stuck up, religious type, you probably won't last here very long. And I'm not saying because I want you to leave. It's just I'm not stoic or stuck up or religious. I've done said screwed and crap three times already in this message. Do you understand? <laughs> right. So it's not going to work, but, but that's the thing. You see, if you want life in your party, you need to come to a place where you realize that that, that you're if you're a person who is at that point, you're a ninety nine. You're a person that God owes you and you don't owe anybody else anything. What well, you need to come to a point where you recognize you're just as poor in spirit as the person you're pointing the finger at all the time, because when you get to the point where you recognize that's who you are, that's where the party is at. Think about it. They were furious because he's hanging out with notorious sinners and they're constantly having parties. You know why? Because they're coming to hear him and they're going, wow, I don't need to do this and this and this in order to find life. I found life right in front of me. They're constantly having parties. This is where the reckless love of God is revealed. God's love doesn't know how to be anything other than reckless. Amen. Amen. So you're the lost sheep. I'm a lost sheep. He rejoiced when he found me because I know I didn't find him. And he carried me around his neck. And he's got big, thick, strong legs because I'm a big boy. But he's carried me around his neck. And we're able to rejoice together and party. That's his love for you. So that's the first parable of God's reckless love, and we're going to spend the next couple weeks unpacking the other ones. They're going to get good, I promise. I mean, this one was good too, but they're going to get good. (laughs) To be fair, would you bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at? Let me pray for you, those who are online as well, and in-house. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, and your goodness. And, Father, I pray that you would help us just to, just to, just to spend time this week as we go through our, throughout our week, God, that these things would just reverb in our hearts, Lord, the understanding of your reckless love, the fact that you are pursuing us constantly, that we can't make you love us more than what you love us already, that we are cherished and adored by you, Father. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I pray for safety and protection of every person who's in this house, who's getting ready to leave right now, those who are at home. Father, I pray a blessing over all of us until we come back next week. Father, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, guys, we'll see you.